This morning I'm excited because we're going to talk about prayer, and this is probably my favorite topic of almost anything in church, in the Bible, and the Word of God. This is one of my favorite things to talk about and to, more importantly, put into practice. Uh, but before we talk about prayer, in every hobby, in every activity, there are tools that you need that are absolutely essential. Uh, most of you know this, but I am a golfer. I love to play golf, um, and there are things that you need as a golfer, just as in, you know, rowing, just as in any sport, just as in any activity, there are tools that you need to be able to accomplish that activity, to accomplish that hobby. In golf, you need clubs, you need tees, you need shoes, you need a glove. For my sake, you need lessons. (laughs) And in the Christian experience, uh, there are things that you absolutely need as you journey with Jesus. I like to call them non-negotiables, things that absolutely we need as Jesus followers. The first of all of these is salvation. We need to be receive the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus by the blood of his uh, by the bloodshed and the sacrifice on the cross. We need salvation. We need community. That's why we do this. We need community with brothers and sisters in Christ to do life together. Another non-negotiable. We need mentors. We need leaders who have gone before us who can impart wisdom into us. We need the Word, the Word of God as a lamp into our feet and a light to our path. We need worship. We need to worship. I want to specify that. We need to worship. You need to worship more than God needs to receive worship. God is not insecure. He doesn't need our worship. He loves when we worship him, but he doesn't need it. I actually need to worship God because it's in the fabric of my DNA as a human being. It's part of my nature to give back to God the breath that he put in my lungs. And finally, we need a prayer life. We need a prayer life. I will say with 100% certainty that a prayer life is absolutely essential to a thriving faith. It is 100% essential in order to have a thriving faith. And I could say that from experience, but more importantly, I say that because it's scriptural. It is the way of Jesus. A life of prayer is, is a massive part of apprenticing under Jesus. Here's some scripture for us. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Mark 1, 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Matthew 14, 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. More on that later, but... If Jesus had a prayer life, how much more do you and I need a prayer life? I want to be careful. I don't want to say that Jesus needed a prayer life. He's the 200% one, 100% God, and 100% man. But nonetheless, he put into practice and gave the example of having a consecrated prayer life. So how much more, if he put that into practice, how much more ought we to put that into practice? And Unfortunately, many in the evangelical church have a misconception about prayer. And this is our thesis statement this morning for this short talk on prayer. Prayer is not an optional add-on to the Christian experience for the spiritually elite. It is an open invitation to all Jesus followers to know him personally. Prayer is not an optional add-on It's not to get a gold star to be a super Christian. (laughs) Prayer is an open invitation to all who follow Jesus to know him, to become more like him, 
and to actually do war against the enemy. Prayer is not something we can all practice. It's something that we should all practice. But life and work and responsibilities and trips and stress and sleep and all the things, yes. But a prayer life ought to be at the center, not the outskirts. Perfect example of this is Daniel. Uh, In Daniel chapter six, you guys probably know the story, but King Darius kind of was told by his advisors to put this law in place that nobody for a month can pray, worship anybody aside from King Darius. And he wasn't really thinking about it when he put this law into place. And then he realized, oh man, that's going to affect Daniel. I like this guy, Daniel. He doesn't follow our gods, but I like this guy. And in Daniel 6.10, it says this, that Daniel learned that the law had been signed and he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. I don't think there's another, there rarely in scripture are there other examples of people who maybe almost you would understand if they didn't pray in that moment. But with Daniel, not even a law that was going to get him thrown in a den of lions, not even that law stopped him and put a pause on his prayer life. So what is prayer? More specifically, what is biblical prayer? Because if you were to just talk to a normal person on the street in Danville or San Ramon or Walnut Creek or in Berkeley or wherever, you'd have a million different answers of what is prayer. But this morning, we want to look at what is biblical prayer? What is the Jesus way of prayer? And I just like three-part sermons. So we're going to talk about three different things. Uh, First, prayer is conversation. And that's like a duh, right? We, most of us know this. Prayer is conversation between me and God. Not to oversimplify it, but if you know how to speak and you know how to listen, you know how to pray. The litmus test for determining the health of any relationship is to examine how two people communicate. Healthy communication involves two things. Active listening and intentional speaking. Active listening is listening to understand, not listening to respond. How often do we do this? We'll be in a conversation with somebody and as they're talking, we're already thinking about what we're gonna say, but active listening is listening for the sake of understanding, not necessarily responding. And intentional speaking means no wasted words. I was really convicted of this. I don't know why, but for some reason, when I was in high school, actually, uh, when I was really just kind of getting started following Jesus passionately. And I noticed that everybody's prayer sounded the same a lot of the time. The casual prayer, like praying before food, or I went to a Christian school, so the prayer before our class time. And it was always like, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Bless your bodies and help my dog. Amen. Like, you know, it's that, that kind of casual Thing And I'm not trying to judge anybody because everybody's in different places with their prayer life. But I think as we get more intimate with God, as our, we increase the depth of our understanding in prayer, the depth of our prayer practice, it changes the way that we speak to God. It actually slows us. I've tried to be so intentional about the words that I choose when I'm praying. Be so intentional about the fact that I am speaking to an eternal God. Yes, who loves me. He's my father, but he is also the holy judge. 
He's the both and. He's the loving father inviting me into relationship with him, but he's also king sovereign of the universe and living in that tension in my prayer life. So I don't want to waste words when I'm speaking to God. We listen for God, not so that we can say that we heard from him. Oh, brother, I got a word, dude. Like that's not why we listen for God. We listen for him so that we hear his voice and it changes us from the inside out. And we speak to God, not flippantly or casually, but intentionally, believing that he hears and receives our voice as incense. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, says that in prayer, we enter through our heart into the heart of God. That's intimacy, where there's a learning of his voice and a trusting that he hears my words. Number two, prayer is isolation. And this is a practice that I'm just getting started in the last year to walk in my faith. Obviously, there is beauty and necessity in corporate prayer. Jesus puts this into practice. We have a million opportunities as a church family to pray together corporately. But for a prayer life with depth, we need to have margin where it's just us and him. It's where we shut out the noise of life and lock eyes with him, where we enjoy God and he enjoys us. Have you ever thought about that? That in the margin that we set aside for prayer, God is enjoying us. He is enjoying us. When it's me and him, he is even more excited than I am in that moment. I love this from Ronald Rawheiser. He says, prayer is relaxing into God's goodness. In uh, Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If I had more time, I'd do a word study on lonely places because it has a million different meanings. But he withdrew to lonely places. You find six or seven, maybe even more examples in the New Testament of Jesus getting alone with the Father. Like I said, I've been putting this into practice in my life and <laughs> poor Luke, he, he changed his schedule to start coming in earlier uh, a couple months ago. And uh, around the same time, I had started coming into our office. We share an office. So I had started coming into the office early in the morning, like 8, 8.15, just to have silence. We have a two-year-old, so we might as well call him Elijah Noise Hammerstrom. Like that <laughs> might as well be his name. He is all over the place, and I love him to death. But like you, I need silence. Like I don't even drive with music anymore. <laughs> I just drive in the silence. <laughs> But I needed solitude, silence and solitude put into practice in my life. And so one morning I came in and Luke had just changed his schedule to start coming in early. And I was like, hey, bro, can you work somewhere else? Like, I, I need this time. Like ruthlessly having that margin for myself, being a little bit selfish. I know that's a crazy word to use, but a little bit selfish and saying, this is the consecrated time that I have for me and Jesus to meet him in the quiet it's never been more crucial in the noise of this life to have intentional silence to meet and commune with God. Maybe even try turning off the worship music. <gasps> I know. <laughs> but that's scary, right? Because a lot of us hate silence. We don't like the sound of our own thoughts. But what if God wanted to meet you in those intrusive thoughts? Uh, the other word, one of the other words for those, that lonely places where Jesus withdrew to is the wilderness. And guess who was also in the wilderness 
in the time of testing for Jesus? The devil. What if our time of silence and solitude was a time to war against the enemy? We seclude to be transformed. It's as simple as a 10-minute walk by yourself or it's as intense as a three-day silent retreat. Never done that. Sounds really difficult, (laughs) but I want to. Finally, prayer is intercession. Intercession is the act of intervening on behalf of of another. In our context, it's graduating past praying for myself and standing in the gap for people, places, and outcomes. Intercession is empathy put into action. I empathize with your pain, so therefore I pray with you. I empathize with your sorrow, so therefore I pray with you. How many people do we know that are in intense pain? Maybe you're in a season of just like, dude, no one can help me. No one can say anything. No one can do anything. I remember being in this season when I was 18 and Cassidy was just my girlfriend at the time and she lost her mom. Mom passed away in 2015. And I remember the, the tension of not being able to say anything of comfort. It's like, what do you offer somebody? And I've learned that I can offer them something. It's prayer when they don't even know I'm praying for them because that can actually change an outcome. That can change something. I can't change anything, but the God of the universe can. And he hears my thoughts. He hears my prayers. James 5, uh, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, the leaders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. If we truly believe that God moves through our prayer, how would it change the way that you pray? Would that belief beckon you into the prayer closet to prophesy healing and restoration and breakthrough for yourself and those around you? So what we're going to start doing as a young adults ministry is we're going to start having a weekly practice. And this is not something that you have to do. It's an invitation for all of us over the next week until next Saturday to start incorporating into our spiritual disciplines. And this week, we're gonna um, practice praying in concentric circles. This is something that has been incredibly helpful to me because I get distracted in my prayer time. And again, if you have a rhythm that works for you in prayer, keep doing that. That's awesome. But maybe this might be helpful for some. And what praying in concentric circles looks like is this. I get out my journal and I draw one circle And in that circle, I write, God and me, or you and me. And I set my journal down, and for two or three minutes, intentionally, I'm just talking to God. God, bring me deeper with you. Increase my love for you. Help me to love you more. Bless me with the gift of deeper love for you. I'll spend time just praying for my relationship with God. And then I draw another circle. 
This is where I pray for my wife, my son, my family, even our future kids. Father, I pray for my wife, for our household today. Protect us from evil. Protect us from sin and compromise. Watch over my son. Raise him up as a man of virtue and valor. Raise him up as a man of God. It's that practice for a few minutes of praying intentionally for my family. I'll draw another one. Got to pray for the rock. For me, I have a group of other pastors, other men all around the country, and we've committed to do life together and pray for each other. That's why I'm praying for my brotherhood. And it keeps me on track. And I would love if you would consider implementing this in your prayer practice this week. I think it'd be really helpful. So we're going to close in prayer and then we'll get into small groups and we'll do what we did a couple weeks ago.